Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello there, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, one of the technical editors at Bike Radar, and with me is Seb Stott, who's one of our technical writers. How's it all going, Seb? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. You all right? Very well, thank you, yeah. Enjoying a little bit of uh, October sun today. It's actually quite nice outside. Yeah, it's a lovely day. Um, makes a change for the past couple of days, um, and presumably for the rest of the winter now, because I'm, I'm going on holiday tomorrow, so it's going to be terrible, I'm sure. Lovely. <laughs> Good to have a little weather report at the start of our podcast, even though Always. they'll be coming bring... out in quite quite a long time to people who don't necessarily live where we live. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I think it brings a little bit of context, just so we know. It's the 1st of October, Bristol is sunny, as is the Forest of Teen. So, yeah. Uh, we hope uh, <laughs> the news a, a week you've been on... waiting for. If you've downloaded this podcast, that's 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 the main thing you want us to know. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope wherever you are today, whenever this is, uh, is a, an equally nice day. Perhaps um, today we we, we were going to talk about today. It's, it's a mountain bike podcast, and we're going to talk about um, I guess what would be in uh, Seven Eyes kind of dream garage in some ways. So. You know what bikes um, or what types of bikes would we kind of want to have um, if we were going to own them? Um, we're going to take into account, you know, the price of those. You know, you know, everyone would love a, a ten grand bike, sure, but you know, realistically, not many of us are actually going to be spending that. Um, so we thought, yeah, we'll see. You know, let's say we could have one bike in the garage. What would it be, Seb? Um, and then we're going to go. You know, if we could have a few bikes, if we've got that choice, uh, what variety of bikes would we have? To sort of personally. What would we enjoy having? I think that makes sense. Yeah, that's a 
a rough, rough plan, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to, hopefully he was planning on doing that a little bit more concise, but um, I think we'll leave it as a slightly more jumbled one because uh, we're going to talk some about what bikes we would actually buy. I yeah. Th- I think that's it. Yeah, there we go. All right. Well, let, let's start with sort of maybe the most realistic proposition. Um, we walk or drive to work, so we don't commute by bike, um, but we can only have one mountain bike. Uh, let's say, you know, it's going to be a normal price one as well. Seb, what sort of thing would you have? And, and maybe let's have some ideas of what kind of bikes it would be. So um, I think about this quite a lot because obviously when you review bikes, it kind of comes down to, you know, would you buy it? And obviously if you could only have one bike, um, it is quite hard to quite hard to decide, isn't it? But um, mm. probably the bike that's impressed me most recently that I've really enjoyed riding is the Privateer 161 that I've got as a, a long-termer at the moment. Um, it's reasonably affordable. It's like 1,500 quid, I think, for the frame. It's got um, geometry that really suits me. It's nice and long, really steep seat angle. Um, I did a, um, a review and a long-term report on that bike. You can find on bikerider.com. Just a little plug there. Um, yeah, I think that, that bike is fantastic. That I haven't ridden all of the latest um, enduro bikes, obviously, and um, I'm going to be doing a test of like high-end um, okay. enduro bikes um, in the future. Um, so my mind may well change on this, but kind of even price aside, because it is relatively affordable, I think it's the the bike I've enjoyed riding the most because it it climbs so well because of the steep seat angle. It descends really well. Um, I really enjoy the way it handles. Um, and I guess that kind of gives away um, the kind of bias I have towards descending. Um, so like your dream bike is always going to reflect what type of riding you do. And while I do like to, to pedal and I like to do big rides and what have you, I, I, I just think it's, it's, um, I always get on well with a fairly long travel bike. Um, yeah. I kind of think that the suspension in itself doesn't, the, the travel doesn't slow you down uphill necessarily. Um, and the, I think the most important thing for climbing is that, is that seat angle and the suspension efficiency and, uh, the privateer does really well on both fronts. So it, although it's not, it's no cross country bike. It, it pedals well, it climbs really well. Um, and yeah, the way it descends is, is awesome. I uh, guess that the, you sort of alluded there, like the, the context of the bike that you would have is really dependent on, well, the type of bike you have is, is the context in which you would ride it yourself. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you know, you, you like steep, technical, fast, sort of more enduro type riding, I guess, don't you? Yeah, totally. And, um, I quite like going to the Alps um, once a year or so, ride some uplifts, um, maybe go to a bike park like the Revolution Bike Park every now and again, um, might do a race every now and again as well, uh, which I like to do um, when races are happening. Um, so yeah, it just reflects the type of riding I do, but personally I think that even for mellower trails um, where you're doing a lot of pedalling, I really don't mind having that extra travel. I, I don't think 
it slows you down that much relative to a short travel bike. And I think that's why if I if I only had one bike, it would be a long travel bike. Because mm-hmm. I think when you want to ride technical rough terrain, there's no getting around it. You you want longer suspension travel will will help with that. But you know, when it comes when you've got steep seat angles, lots of anti squat, you know, climb switches. Yeah. The the travel doesn't really make you slower uphill. Um so I think what I would maybe have is one bike with two sets of wheels. Mm-hmm. One with like tough enduro wheels with tough grippy enduro tires, and then like maybe a slightly lighter set of wheels with you know lightweight, um, faster rolling tires. And I think the wheels and the main reason your enduro bike is slower than your cross country bike that obviously there's lots of things going on, but I think the main factor is the tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I mean, you... bigger bikes tend to have those bigger, stickier tires to make the most out of those bigger bikes, and thus they feel bigger, feel heavier, feel more sluggish. Totally, yeah. And if you do the maths on, you know, how much slower will you go up a hill with an extra kilogram or an extra two kilograms of weight? You're talking like one or two percent slower up a up a steep hill, but the the rolling resistance of the tires will make a bigger difference than that, mm. much bigger. Um, so. Yeah, if you if you put um, lighter, faster rolling tires on a on an enduro bike, in my opinion, it makes a pretty good trail bike. Um, and maybe the Privateer isn't the perfect example from of that because it's heavy. You know, it's like I think the frame is like four point six kilos for a frame. Um, mm-hmm. The way I've got it built up now with like really heavy e-bike tires is like sixteen and a half kilos. So it's a heavy bike. And yeah, like, although weight, I really don't think weight makes as much a difference as people think. Obviously, it does make some difference. And But it, there are bikes out there where you can have a lot of travel without having that much weight. Um, I was thinking about something like the, uh, the Yeti SB150, like carbon frame, lightweight bike. It's got a pretty steep seat angle, lots of anti-squats, so it pedals well. It's also quite a light frame. Um, and I think that could be a really good kind of one bike for everything. Because uh, you, that- you could build it up pretty light and put some lightweight tires, lightweight wheels on it. Um, and it would be a great like trail bike. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can put like downhill tires on it, put something like a Fox 38 on it, and it's basically a downhill bike. Um, so would that be sort of your maybe your pricier option then instead of uh, if I you had if say you had a really good job? <laughs> I think if they had I think if they did a double XL it would be I think it's just a bit it's not quite long enough for me uh-huh. uh, the XL but um, yeah I mean it's the the reason I mentioned the privateer is not because it's cheap necessarily it's it's genuinely the the bike I've enjoyed riding the most mm-hmm. irrespective of price. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to riding bikes like, um, uh, hopefully they'll be getting the raw Madonna to have a a go on soon. Um, I really, I really had high hopes for the Scott Ransom because Mm -hmm. that is, that's 170 mil travel, but it's like really lightweight. Um, the frame is, is really light and it's got like remote lockouts. I think Mm -hmm. remote lockouts are pretty cool. But um, 
the suspension balance on that bike is just a bit off. The the shock tune is too light, and the mm-hmm. seat angle is too slack. So I, f- I feel like that bike was almost what I'm what I'm after. But I mean, the lightness is is not that big a deal anyway. So I'm I'm pretty happy with something like the Privateer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the Raw is much lighter, if at all. No. Anyway, um, and that's a lot more expensive. Um, but but I, what I do like about the Raw is the, the, the kind of the finish and the attention to detail. It's a huge, beautiful looking bike. Yeah, the huge bearings in the shock top and bottom. I've had some issues with the lower bushing on the Privateer squeaking. And like, I think I'm so into mountain biking that I will always be willing to spend to get a good bike. I'm so into mountain bikes as well. Like there are people who like mountain biking, but are not fussed about what bike they are. Yeah. And who could ride a hardtail with 40 PSI in the tires faster than I can ride. But I'm not one of those people. I'm, I'm obsessed with the bike and how it performs. And so like I would happily have a five-year-old phone and a 20-year-old car if it meant mm-hmm. I could afford uh, a nicer bike. Um, so maybe something like the Raw, maybe the Pulse Stamina, maybe, you know, something high-end I would totally be willing to save up for. Right. But it's just that um, I haven't yet ridden anything that I prefer riding to that, um, that privateer. Okay. Um, but anyway, that's that's enough for me. What about yourself? Because <laughs> you have quite a different um, you have quite different tastes to me. Yeah, I think so. Um, personally, I sort of you know, I mean, if we're talking about just having one bike, and you know, it, I think when we in a minute we'll talk about maybe if we if we could have multiple bikes, actually, my choice would change quite significantly. Yeah, yeah. But if it was just one bike, I I like a traditional as such trail bike. Um, I enjoy riding those bigger tra- travel bikes, you know, whether it's an enduro bike, X, Y, Z. But I, for me, I, I find, unless the suspension is very well sort of composed, I've just always find them that little bit too sort of wallowy for my kind of tastes, if that makes sense. And I've always enjoyed those slightly shorter travel, um, yeah, slightly shorter travel bikes. Anything from sort of like 120 to 140 is kind of my personal sweet spot. Um, I mean, the bike I always refer to throughout for the past probably four or five years or so is the Transition Scout pre-SBG. Like, I love that bike to absolute bits. It's a shame that it's now sort of effectively out of date. You know, I couldn't put new wheels on it. Well, you, you could, but you'd have to find non-boost ones, X, Y, Z. You know, it's not like an up-to-date bike. So going forward, it'd be tricky to have that. But that sort of small but capable trail bike is something I've always enjoyed. And I guess, you know, I'm lucky I, I do Trail Bike of the Year um, every year at the moment. Um, and so it would be remiss of me not to mention, you know, the winner of, of the 2021, which is the Propane Hugene. You know, it's a 140 mil trail bike. It's got a pair of pipes on the front. It's incredibly good value for money as well. Um, it sort of did everything that I want a trail bike to do. So it climbed really well. You know, it's got stable suspension that did give up its travel when needed to, but didn't sort of give it away too freely. So it always felt... Um, sort of reactive to your inputs it never felt like it got bogged down um, and there's plenty of sort of I know sort of we hate this this phrase but you could you know there's plenty of feedback from the trail which is you know, it makes you want to vom like I hate it is a horrible <laughs> phrase but like I don't want complete isolation from the trail for me I, I really like that 
feeling of, of the bike sort of having to work and chatter over stuff without having that complete isolation from it. Um, and so, yeah, bike, bikes like the, you know, the propane Eugene. And if it was my money, just, again, that uh, was sort of... Just ride faster, Tom, and you'll get more, you'll get more vibration again. <laughs> yeah, but then I, I can't ride faster. <laughs> <laughs> I ride as fast as I can. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> you, you ride fast. It's just, um, oh, yeah, with, with a longer travel, you have a, you know, correspondingly softer spring rate if you actually want to use that travel. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it means you have less um, direct connection. That This is another horrible phrase that I just started using. A less direct connection to the trail. Isn't that a terrible <laughs> cliche? That is but, disgusting. But, um, uh, but yeah, it, it, it does... A, a firmer spring rate means that your inputs translate into like pumping the trailer or, or whatever mm. or pumping into a jump um faster and more directly mm -hmm. um so yeah of course there's a there's a reason we're not all riding around on like 400 mil travel yeah uh, bikes um but um I, I i also think that um travel could be related to the length of your your limbs because okay. if, you, if you've got longer arms and legs, you can move the bike up and down underneath you more. Then you can, you can more easily push through that part of the travel. Uh, well, you, you can push through more of the travel without kind of running out of, of range of movement. So you can, you can pump the trail more effectively, even with a longer travel bike. Whereas if, you, if you've got really short arms and legs on a long travel bike, then you're a bit more of a passenger and it's harder to kind of proactively push into the trail. Uh, so maybe there's a bit of a relationship there between the rider height and the length of the travel. Yeah, possibly, um, yeah. We're quite similar height, so I, th I think it's more down to preference and what we get out of riding. And I guess the sort of riding that we, we do a lot, maybe, I mean, I, you know, we, we ride together fairly often, um, so I guess it's not like my riding is necessarily much different to yours. But I sort of probably have a less of a focus of going as fast as I can down, you know, like I'm not, I've got very little interest in racing enduro, that sort of thing. That's not kind of me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about what we, um, what we enjoy in riding rather than what we actually ride that's different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess the... So what the... bike would you have if you, if you could have, have only one bike? Would it be that transition? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go out and buy that transition now, um, because it, you know, the, the one I really love is out of date, um, so it would be a bit annoying. Um, the latest ones, they have this SBG geometry, which is their sort of, uh, it's longer slacker, short offsets, all that sort of thing, and it made the bike more capable, um, but I sort of felt it kind of almost dulled it a little bit, so I, I, I like it. I'd love to try bikes like the Spur, the transition Spur, but I think... If I was, you know, let's say tomorrow I leave um, Bike Road on MBUK and I need to go and buy a bike and I can only have one, I would probably very heavily be looking at something like the Orbea Rockham. Um, you know, the aluminium ones start at about two grand, I think, and they're fairly good value for money. And I did, re I rode it on the launch a couple of years ago. I've not ridden one since, but I did really rate it when I rode it on the launch um, as like a, you know, 140, 150 mil trail bike. Um, and, and I would consider the Hugene as well. So the Hugene was about three and a half grand, um, really good value. 
Um, so sort of in that in that bracket of two, two and a half, three grand, yeah. um, I'd have to have a look at probably those two bikes if I was going to have one bike in the garage. Yeah, yeah. So if we were going to... So go for the aluminium one. I would probably, I would prefer the aluminium one with a higher spec over the carbon one with a lower spec, yeah, because I still value having, you know, whether it's an XT drivetrain or factory level suspension or, or whether it's, you know, like a, an ultimate fork or something. I, I'd rather the, yeah. those components with an alloy frame than a carbon frame with like a performance level fork and an SLX or GX group set. Yeah, agreed, yeah. Because um, again, it, it, that, it's that weight thing versus performance of components. And I think the, the difference in weight between the alloy and the, and the carbon frame is, you say it's a kilo or whatever it is, but I think the difference in performance between, you know, GX, SLX versus XT or performance versus factory, select versus ultimate is more noticeable than that extra kilo in weight. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Would, what would you have if you could have two bikes then? Would you have an e-bike? I How many wouldn't... bikes would have to be in your garage before you had an e-bike? Well, so this is, well, if we're talking mountain bikes, quite, it would be a number of bikes. If we're talking bikes, bikes, yeah, yeah. four so at the moment, okay, uh, the reason why I sort of thought about doing this podcast was because I, I was looking at the bikes that I've got on test at the moment in the garage. And I was like, hang on a minute. Like, this is actually my perfect garage at the moment. Mm. Um, there's, there's, I mean, there are more than four bikes in there, but there's four bikes that I'm currently riding quite a lot. So I've got... Um, What's your address, Tom? With the... <laughs> <laughs> I live in Scotland. <laughs> um, so at the moment, I've got, um, I've got a long-term... Um, gravel bike, um, which probably would be bike number two if I was going to have two bikes in the garage. One would be a mountain bike, probably a trail bike. The other yeah, one would I be a, a gravel bike. I think I'm with you on that. I would have a full suspension mountain bike and a gravel bike. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, in fact, the only bike I own is a gravel bike because yeah. I, I want to get places. Yeah, they're so yeah. I mean, I, I love sort of gravel riding, the concept of it, and all this sort of thing. Um, so there'd be the gravel bike. There'd be the long. There'd be a uh, mountain, well, with the two mountain bikes, we've, we've jumped to four bikes here, but I'm just going to very quickly run through it. So gravel bike, and it'd be the yep. Lauf, which I have, which honest to God, I, I think is one of the, you know, it's the bike I would very happily go and buy tomorrow. Um, I would have a long travel hardtail mountain bike. We'll get onto that later. I'd long have travel hardtail? Yeah. Really? Or like an aggressive hardtail. Oh, we'll talk about it in a minute. We'll talk about I absolutely love it. We'll talk about that in a God, minute. Our taste in bikes is so different. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I would have an, a cross-country race bike, full sus. And I would have... So I've got... Um, if On, on BikeRider.com, my long-term bike this year has been a Bergamont E-Horizon Gent 600 something or other. Terrible name. But it's a hybrid like sit up and beg hybrid e-bike and it's absolutely brilliant like that as a sort of form of transport yeah. you know if i was having multiple bikes and i wanted to ride to work ride to the shops ride to climbing whatever it is that's when i'd have an e-bike to get yeah. around town do they do a, a ladies version like why is it called a gent i think because they do a ladies version okay yeah yeah, yeah. that makes sense yeah um so yeah so, that would be when i'd have an e-bike mountain bikes it would take a couple more iterations of bike maybe fifth or sixth if we were just talking mountain bikes um we went out shooting on e-bikes the other day i didn't i didn't have the best day 
<laughs> I think I'd have to ride a new bike so much to really get used to it to really enjoy riding it again. But yeah, yeah. How about you? So I've recently done a, a group test of e-bikes, e-mountain e bikes, like 150, mm -hmm. 160 mil travel e-mountain e bikes. And me and my uh, girlfriend, who is pregnant, mm -hmm. had a great time, like riding to the pub and things. We yeah. live in a really hilly part of the world. Going to the pub when you're pregnant is like either you're just not going to do it or you're going to drive. But if you've got mm -hmm. e-bikes in the garage... Uh, we rode there, we rode up to the farm where she works, did like, did like the farm feeding round, where we let go around feeding the pigs, feeding the horses and stuff on like really hilly grassy fields. Normally it takes ages like walking between all the different fields. Mm. Did it on e-bikes, it was brilliant. Um, and normally we drive up the hill to the farm because it's a big old hill. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, rode up with mm -hmm. girlfriend, rode up, rode to all the different places. It was brilliant. Like, an e-mountain bike is actually quite a good all-rounder because it's kind of, it's a great commuter. Yeah. You can you can commute to, especially if you live somewhere hilly, like, if you've got a motor, it doesn't matter if it's got slick tyres or draggy tyres. Like, yeah, yeah. you can just go 50 miles an hour everywhere. I went to the post office on an e-bike the other day because I mm. had to go up, up a big hill to the post office with um, a couple of forks in a rucksack. It meant I've, I've used the car way less because I've got e-bikes around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I agree with you that for mountain biking, I feel like it's not quite the same. Like when I go out on an e-bike ride, it's fun. And you're like, oh, this is great. I'm going up a steep, um, um, steep off-road trail at like 15 miles an hour. It's great fun. But... None of them that I've ridden so far are anywhere near as good when descending as a normal enduro bike. You've ridden the Turbo SL, the, the lightweight um, uh, specialised, Yes, right? I have, yeah, yeah. So that is quite light. It's like the, the bike I rode, which is like second tier, is like 18 and a half kilos in XL. Okay. So it's lighter than most e-bikes, but it's heavier than any mountain bike. But, I mean, only a couple of kilos heavier than the than the L right. <laughs> that's true. Although my bike does have about, like the the tires on my bike literally weigh a kilo more between them, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's got like a Fox thirty eight instead of a thirty four. All that stuff. Anyway, but basically that bike was light, um, partly because it had quite lightweight casing tires, a Fox thirty four, uh, an inline shock, and that, that kind of held it back. Um, like the fork in particular, the Fox 34, just doesn't really, I don't think it's a brilliant fork anyway. And when you strap it to an e-bike, it, it just gets overwhelmed. It kind of binds and spikes. Mm -hmm. So it's not So the, the fork kind of vague. bends and the, when you, when you say bend, uh, you know, it binds and it spikes, that's because the fork lowers and the uppers sort of bend independent of they each other. They bend too creating... much and, and they bend away from the direction that the bump is pushing them. Yeah. So So they start to get... Uh, stiffer basically because they're mm -hmm. uh, less well aligned with the bump force mm. and um, yeah I think that stiff forks work better basically Yeah, and um, I, feel, I feel like they've gone too far to try and chase lightness with that bike I also think it's not quite long enough for me but but the I've never heard you say that before so. <laughs> the, the point the point I was making is that yeah, that bike does ride closest to a trail bike. 
of any of the e-bikes I've ridden, partly because mm-hmm. the motor is so seamless and so intuitive to use, partly because the geometry is the same. It doesn't have a massive chainstay to fit a motor in. And partly because, yeah, it is a fair bit lighter than most e-bikes. But um, of the e-bikes that have like a full power motor and have components that are barely enough to to cope with, you know, being strapped to an e-bike, they they just don't have the same sort of responsiveness. Um, they're really comfortable if you're kind of rattling over rough terrain. The suspension works amazing, but you do kind of miss something. It feels like it's a bit numbed as an experience. It's like, I feel like it's about 90% as fun mm-hmm. on a technical descent as a regular bike. And that's kind even though you can do twice as many descents in the same amount of time, I feel like I would rather have that slightly more, I hate, I'm going to use another vomit inducing <laughs> phrase, right? You ready? I'd rather oh, have that slightly purer experience <gasps> oh, God. that you get with a, a mountain bike. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. And also, when you finish doing your new bike ride, even if you've done like 2,000 metres of climbing, doesn't doesn't give me the same sense of satisfaction. Yeah. But riding an e-bike is way better than driving a car. So yeah. I think I would have one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've kind of got a gravel bike as a getting places bike because... Um, the roads around here are really bad, so I'd rather have a gravel bike than a road bike. Um, but yeah, an e-bike does that job fantastic. Um, yeah. If you just want to get somewhere, you know, you don't want to ride there sweaty. Yeah. Um, whether it's an e-mountain bike or an e-commuter, they're fantastic for that. So yeah. I, I would kind of have one, but I think it would be my third bike to have a, an enduro bike. I'd have a gravel bike, and then I'd and then probably an have an e-mountain bike. Yeah. Possibly. I don't really see the point in having like a cross country bike, a down country bike, a trail bike, an enduro bike, a downhill mm-hmm. bike. It's so like just have a just have an enduro bike, and maybe have some cross country tires, and that will that will do the whole. Well, not if you're wanting to do like XC racing. It'll, it'll do it'll do a lot of it. It will do a lot of that spectrum, pretty yeah. pretty well. But that's why coming back to sort of my four bikes, you know, having that gravel bike having the XC race bike because they are so different to ride and I really enjoy cross country. Having the e, sort of e-commuter bike, really handy. You know, like I, you know, I've done like massive, you know, been out for big old mountain bike rides, come back fairly knackered, but kind of wanted to either go and see a friend in the evening or, or go climbing or something. You know, I can jump on that e-bike, get across the other side of Bristol, which is a fairly hilly city in itself. And you know, legs are fine because you've got that motor. But I'd have that. Um, so the reason why I like this Elroy, it comes down to that. It does everything this that I need. This is your long travel hardtail. Yeah, yeah. So the, okay. So the Elroy is basically like a super rad steel hardtail. Um, they only do one build of it. It's got a steel frame, long reach for my taste, at least 480 oh, yeah, mil yeah. is, is way longer than I would usually go for. It's got a 63 and a half degree head angle, mm. which is frankly on paper, fairly bonkers, but obviously with a hardtail, um, when you go through sort of compressions and the fork squashes, it steepens the bike. Whereas yeah. on a full sus, you know, front and rear sort of compressed. So the geometry is slightly I you, mean, know, you need a slacker the geometry is still pretty rad isn't it it's very oh god it's very yeah, yeah yeah and, um, and i have to say when i've been riding with you when you've been all that Elroy, i don't think i've ever seen you ride better 
it well, I think it makes you think a bit more about what you're doing, maybe. But I because think you haven't I got the back think, end. I also think the uh, the geometry and the tires and all the mm. rest. You just ride that bike more aggressively. Yeah. So I mean, I really the, enjoy riding it. I, when, think that, I think that's probably when it. When you isn't had the Hope HB One Hundred and Thirty, you. Mm. I think you're a lot more tentative on that bike. Whereas yeah. with the Elroy, you really ride. I think you ride really well on it. I guess it's it's super planted. That's the thing I sort of take away from you know because it's the wheelbase is super long. It's got a pair of um, Max Grip uh, double down Maxxis Asagai tires. So basically, the stickiest, heaviest, most sort of composed tires around. Um, and with that, you know, head angle so fuck, so very slack. <laughs> I almost did a swear. <laughs> it's just I like know what you mean, Tom. I didn't know. I, this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just so confident, and so you can batter into things. But I guess it isn't so. It's not a tentative bike. It, it you know, you can rely on it to sort of do exactly what I kind of need it to do, um, mm. and. It would be, I would be faster maybe on an equivalent full sus bike in, in, in many respects, I guess, but I'm not looking to go fast. And so it kind of earns its place in my garage just because I enjoy riding it so much. Yeah, yeah. And as a bike to own as well, I mean, it's basically bomb proof. It's got, um, you know, Shimano 12 speed group set. It's got fairly burly wheels. It's got tires that even with tubes on, I still haven't punctured despite rattling down anything I can find. You know, the Z1, it's got a Mizuki Z1, fairly simple, basic fork that just works nicely. Like, there's nothing to go wrong. Yeah. So to live with it, I'm pretty down with it, really. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. It's interesting that neither of us have gone, like, oh, if I had infinite money, I would have something totally different. Mm. I feel like um, I would have to have money to burn to buy something well i i don't know maybe, maybe i would buy something a bit more high-end um to, certainly when it comes to the frame and i, I would want a high-end fork like I, I just tested the yeah the 38 fox 38 the top end one it's 1300 pounds but it's really really good it's really good um so frame and fork could go high-end but things like wheels and drivetrain and things it's like I think, I'm not that fast. I think it depends on the bike. Like for a mountain bike that I'm going to thrash around the woods, you know, that Marin is, is perfect. But if I was, if I, if I was going to go out and buy like a cross-country race bike or to some extent my gravel bike, I would go higher end. Um, like so I've been riding, um, well, I've done a bike test, but a specialised Epic, for example. And for me, the enjoyment I get out of, say, an XC race bike is that super light, super tight feeling bike that... You can get really good XC bikes that don't cost seven grand, but the XC bikes that cost seven grand are really, like, really, really good. Um, and I think I would spend more to get super lightweight wheels, super light tires, beautifully crisp gears, um, and it would have to be full sus as well. So I, I probably would end up spending a lot more on an XC bike than I would sort of a trail mountain bike, even though I'd spend more time and probably, you know, get a lot of sort of enjoyment out of that cheaper trail bike yeah yeah i guess that makes sense if it's if it's a race bike then maybe you want to spend a bit more but mm. 
And similar with the gravel bike as well, like it would have to be a fairly, fairly good one just to get that sort of lightweight yet dependable. I don't want to ride around on like a heavy steel or, you know, that's not sort of my bag. Like, again, I want a more racy tuned gravel bike, um, like the Lauf, for example, which is, you know, proper bash out 100k as fast as you can kind of bike as opposed to like a more cruisy one. Again, you can get those from with really good value bikes as well. So I guess I'm not saying I'd have to spend a lot, but it, I probably would end up spending a higher sort of, I'd look higher up a bike range when it comes to gravel and XC than I would necessarily for a trail bike. Mm. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So yeah, let's let's run it down then. Let's say, right, you, got, you can buy one bike or you can buy three bikes. Let's have a, a model. Let's have exactly what you'd have said. Um, at the moment, I would probably have um, that Privateer 161. Yeah. Um, I think I'd splash out on the Fox 38. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was, it kind of depends how much money I had. Um, if money was a bit more tight, I would probably just get a Lyric. Yeah. Um, and then like cheap alloy wheels, mm-hmm. SLX or maybe XT group set with like code break i like i would have good brakes i'd have like the code rscs i think yeah um long travel dropper i don't really mind what dropper it is but i've i've, I've recently been testing a 212 mil travel vectum <laughs> dropper yeah. and i really like it like going cool. back to 170 or stuff or something it's like not quite as not quite as much range of movement like i was talking yeah. about earlier um yeah, that would be yeah, that would be my That'd be your one bike. My bike. I, I would spend on the suspension, spend on uh, the brakes, mm-hmm. everything else. I'd I'd go like mid mid range, okay. um, and gravel. Like I have my gravel bike that I own is a Canyon Grail, AL six, yeah. so the cheapest Grail. Seems fine to me. I mean, I've not tested many gravel bikes. Tested a f- well, I've ridden a few. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say tested. I've ridden a few. Feels great to me. I mean, it's got good, it's got good tires. Yeah, it goes forwards when you pedal. It's got good brakes. I hate riding gravel bikes off road. By the way, <laughs> so like, I'd rather have a mountain bike. Um, yeah. But, so the the Grail is not an off roady gravel bike. It's more of like a road bike with forty mil tires. Sure. And for the roads around here, and for like occasional fire roads, that's brilliant. That's perfect. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, that, that's all the gravel bike I think I ever need. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would probably have an e-bike as my third bike. That is a tough one. I've not ridden one yet that I've been like, oh, this is the e-bike for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that there might be one coming out from a well-known brand that sounds quite interesting. So maybe maybe it would be that. But um haven't even seen it yet. Right. Um, I don't even know what you're referring to. We, tell me afterwards. <laughs> I'll tell you afterwards, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's, there isn't one that I've ridden that I've... I, I feel like they're still not quite ready, to be yeah. brutally honest. Like, so the, the bikes I've, I've ridden in this group test, they're all great. And if you compare them to e-bikes from like a couple of years ago, you know, they, they've come on massively. The geometry is much better, better handling. More powerful motors, like the new Bosch motor. So powerful um, and, and intuitive as well. It's, it's not as like mm-hmm. clunky when it, when it engages. 
so th- th- they've come on, but I still feel like they're not quite there. Like all of them have something a bit wrong with them, especially if you don't want to spend like eight, nine grand. Yeah. So it, it's a tough one. Um, I, th- I think the one I've, I've liked the most is that Mondraker Crafty, mm-hmm. but it is a lump. You know, I, I don't mind yeah. throwing around a heavy bike and a long bike, but man, that thing is big. Is hard work. Yeah. Um, I quite like the Lapierre as well, the Overbolt GLP two. Yeah. But it, it's it's really hard to climb without it looping out. Mm. It let the seat angle is too slack, so that's not quite perfect either. Um, I think I, I think I would probably wait before I buy an e-mountain bike, to be, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. Especially since I don't exactly need one. Yeah. If I wanted one today, they would be fine. Either of those bikes or several others would be fine, but I think I would probably wait a couple of years and see if uh, see what comes out. Um, see what may or may not come from certain yeah. brands. All right. Yeah, so I think that's what, what I would have. What about you? Um, so one bike to rule them all would be a probably the aluminium or Bayer Occam, but with mm. as good a spec as I could kind of get for say three grand. Yeah, I think that's what I'd spend um, on, on one bike. That's kind of all you need to spend nowadays. You can get a lot of bike for three grand. Yeah, I reckon you could get good Rockshox suspension on that, or like factory Fox with an SLX XC drivetrain, DT Swiss like standard alloy wheels. And a nice pair of tires on there. That's kind of all I yeah. really want out of a bike. Wheels are wheels, in my opinion. They they all actually perform quite similarly once you get down mm. to it. But so there, that be that be my one bike. And then if I could have a, a, a fleet of bikes, it would be the Marin Elroy because it is hilarious, compromised, heavy, but I really really like it. Um, I'm taking that on holiday next week. Like I, you know, you love an underdog, it, it, don't you, Tom? I just, I just love an underdog. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd have that. I'd have. Um, so it's a Lauf True Grip, um, which is uh, a, a carbon gravel race bike with a little thirty mil um, leaf sprung suspension fork on the front, and I would have. So it's got. Um, I think is it surround force access with an XX1 access um, wireless drivetrain, and it's brilliant. I would have that on the bike. Um, so, you know, it's about a $4,000-ish bike, I think. So, three, three and a half thousand pounds. So, it's pricey, but not stupid crazy. Um, I would have a specialised Epic. Not the S-Works one. I'd go one step down. Seven and a half grand. Um, XX1 access. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, don't need, <laughs> don't need the real posh stuff. Um, good suspension, really good shape for an XC race bike. You know, it's it's long, it's slack, it's low, and it works really well. Nice set of carbon wheels on there, and keeps it sort of feeling light, and it's a really good race bike. And I would have, I'll go with the Bergamon. I got a little, soy, you know, like a soft spot for it. This is a little bit ugly. It's not, you know, it's not cool at all, but I really rate it. Would you have the Bergamon as well as the Orbea, or would that be your. Oh, so in my, in my four bike garage, the Orbea's gone. Okay. I have my hardtail, my race bike, my gravel bike, and my e-commuter bike. So why would you swap the Orbea for the um, Bergamont? Well, the Orbea is like the bike I'd have if I was just needed one bike at all, and I could only have one bike, and I lived in a flat. 
Yeah. Because that would do literally everything. Like, that will bear, I'd do everything on it. Yeah, yeah. But if I could have, like, four bikes in a garage, they can all be a little bit more specialist, all bit, a little bit more all-round. The two mountain bikes, they're very different. The XC bike, mm. I could still ride the XC bike locally. And then if I wanted to go somewhere hilly, I'd take the Marin because I'm yet to find anything I wouldn't ride on the Marin. And then gravel bike, because I love gravel bikes. But, and the, then... the, but the Bergamon is quite similar to the Orbea, right? So why would you swap? No, the, the, the Bergamot's a hybrid commuter bike. Oh, sorry, of course. I was, yeah, um, yeah. I was confusing it with the propane Eugene. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. My bad. Sorry. My bad. Eugene, Eugene I would love. I'd have to, I'd, I mean, Eugene and the Orbea, let's sort of put them sort of interchangeable. The Eugene and, and, and the Ockham. Yeah, I see. But yeah, yeah. The, the Bergamot stays as my get around town when I don't want to put any effort getting around town. You know, it's my urban transport. It's, it's for, yeah, it's replacing my car van. Yeah. So, yeah, there we go. Right. right. We have rattled on for... Way too long. Much long enough. We hope that it hasn't... Well, I'm sure it hasn't... Well, maybe it's bored you. If, if you're bored, you shouldn't still be listening. So we presume if you get to this point in the podcast, we haven't bored you too much. Um, and thank you very much for listening all the way through. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the Bike Rider podcast and share it with um, anyone who else who might have found that chat vaguely interesting. Maybe it's informed you. Maybe it's given you some ideas. If you have been... Um, if you've been, like, driving and this podcast has bored you to tears, but you haven't been tempted to take your hands off the wheel to press pause or skip, then well done. Well You're done. You're an excellent driver. But don't forget things like Google Voice Control and Siri. You could have stopped it. <laughs> yeah, you've only got yourself to blame, really. <laughs> yeah, learn your technology. <laughs> don't write in. It's your fault. <laughs> so there we go. But yeah, thank you again. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks very much, Seb. Thanks, Tom. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.